Hello and welcome back to Guys Who Hate Their Jobs. I'm your host Marty and this podcast is coming to you live from the Blue Room as always. Uh, just wanted to get started. This this one's going to be about the NBA Finals and the recap. So starting from the beginning in Game 1, LeBron scored 51 Points. The Cavs had a chance to win it, and three crucial things happened that caused the Cavs to lose that game. Number one, in order of what happened. Number one, the refs overturned a charge on Kevin Durant when they went back and looked at the uh, the replay, which is a rule they recently changed in the last few years. It's hardly happened, but it is within the rules. I thought it was bullshit, but hey, whatever. That's, that's the game. It's within the rules, so if you're looking as objectively as it is possible, if it's within the rules and it happens, well, what are you going to say? But that's number one, that it's so rarely called, and they called it, hey, what, what are you going to do? Number two... And these two kind of intertwine with each other. George Hill missed that free throw to put the Cavs up one at the end of regulation. He missed that free throw and J.R. Smith did something heroic by getting the rebound, an offensive rebound off a free throw at the end of the game. Any other situation, that's heroic. I mean, if he called a timeout... He would have been basically applauded by his teammates. All of Cleveland would be so excited for him because that doesn't happen much either. But he did it, put himself in a position, got the rebound, out-rebounded Kevin Durant, and immediately ran away like his life depended on it and blew the game, basically. That sent it into overtime, and it was very clear in that overtime that the Cavs were completely deflated and they lost that game. Now, one game doesn't defy a series that's a best of seven, but what I will say is there is such thing as momentum, and there's definitely such thing as momentum in sports. It's not a coincidence when teams, whether it's baseball team, goes on a 15-game winning streak, or a player goes on you know, a 24-game hit streak, or in, in basketball where it's common, teams will go on, um, you know, 15 to 20 game winning streaks. There's a reason for that. And that's momentum. Momentum is a real thing. If you've got momentum in whatever you're doing in life, it translates to other aspects of your life, whether it's your career, your relationship. Hopefully things aren't going good to bad, good to bad, good to bad. Usually there's good, 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 or bad, 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 and you kind of find your way through it. But in game one, that sucked the momentum out of Cleveland. They needed that game so bad, and nobody thought they actually had a chance to beat the Warriors in any of these games. They thought maybe one, let alone the first game, they'd be able to steal one from Golden State. Now, I really don't think that this series ends the way it did if they won that game. I think... Momentum would pull them through to a close game two. They'd probably lose. And game three or four, we don't know what could happen, but they were both in Cleveland. And as we saw, the reality was Cleveland had a shot in game three to win that game. Uh, But the Warriors were just too much. So 
for what it's worth, I think the the series ends in six games, most likely by the Warriors if they don't lose that game one. But that's just kind of the land of hypothetical. But that game one really did defy the series or define the series. Kevin Durant in a re- recent interview said that he knew they won the series after that game. So let that just sink in for a minute. The players actually admitted that that game basically was the series. All they had to do was play Warriors-style basketball the rest of the way, not mess up too much, and they had the series, which they did. It felt like Cleveland knew they, they, they were done. So kind of getting into the statistics of this series, there are a lot of things people didn't see. Um, Steph Curry out-rebounded. Tristan Thompson. Now, in the totality between the two teams of rebounds, the uh, Cle- Cleveland out-rebounded um, the Warriors per game, 46.5 to 40 rebounds per game. And they significantly out-rebounded the Golden State Warriors. But the fact that Steph Curry got more rebounds than Tristan Thompson, I think it just kind of shows you a little bit about the momentum going back to momentum that the Warriors were playing with and how they just, they were playing so quick that, um, you know, if, if, if your point guard is out rebounding the power forward or, or center, you know, Tristan plays the four and five, depending who's on the court. Um, then it just kind of sets the narrative for the game. And I thought it would be interesting also because obviously the Warriors have four all-stars in Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Steph Curry. But if you throw out the four best players on the Warriors and the four best players on the Cavs, you're left with the Warriors who have developed. So this is kind of like the meat of of the bench. That's what really what I'm trying to illustrate here is here we're comparing the two benches. You have JaVel McGee, Sean Livingston, Jordan Bell, Andre Iguodala. And then on the Cavs, you have Rodney Hood, Tristan Thompson, Larry Nance Jr., and Jeff Green. So if you take the players, they four the four Warriors, the bench Warriors, averaged 7.7 points per game if you combine their totals and divide by four. And the Cavs, um, in that case, with Rodney Hood, Tristan Thompson, Larry Nance, and Jeff Green, averaged 6.2 points per game. Now, Tristan Thompson was a starter a lot of this series, so I guess that he doesn't necessarily count as a bench player, but nonetheless, he was um, one of the four scores after you throw out the Cavs' top fours in LeBron, Kevin Love, J.R. Smith, and George Hill. So then I looked at another stat, and basketball has become way more of an analytics game than it ever was. And one thing that really illustrated, because if you watched the game, you saw how one-sided uh, it felt like the Warriors just always had command. But if you, if, you, if you look at the statistics, there's a statistic that I thought if you only looked at the box scores and the numbers, but you never got a chance to watch the game... This statistic would really prove to you what happened in the game, or at least what it looked like. There's a stat called the true shooting percentage, and not a lot of people understand that, but essentially it's a percentage that measures a player's effectiveness at shooting the ball. 
this is kind of like in baseball they have saber metrics in basketball it's called APBR metrics and it like i said it's 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 a measure of how effective a player is at shooting so in the players and i figured out that in the players that actually got playing time and that's in terms of 10 minutes per game an average of 10 minutes per game or more the Warriors had eight players with a true shooting percentage above 55%. Eight players above that. The Cavs had one player above a true true shooting percentage above 55%, and that was LeBron James. What this really illustrates, the true shooting percentage, is that all of the Warriors were getting great, great looks. They were getting great shots Every shot they took, they had above a 55% chance of making that shot. Whereas LeBron was the only one that had above a 55% chance and had a... This is what we say when we say LeBron got no help. Now, in this series, it was evident that Kevin Love definitely showed up. He scored 19 points per game and got 11 rebounds So per game, and those were his averages. If you've watched Kevin Love, then you know that's what he is, and that's a great player. That, that You can't ask for much more out of, um, out of you know, a teammate, 19 and 11. So my conclusion really is, is that... This this series was what we thought it was. If you listen to my last podcast, you'll you'll see that I predicted it was going to be a sweep. I don't feel too proud of predicting that right because most of the world did feel that way. But nonetheless, it was what we thought it was going to be. But what I didn't expect was that the Cavs had glimpses. They actually had a shot uh, a few times to win win games that would have been crucial. Uh, for the series especially game one I don't think anyone saw I mean it's impossible to predict major sports blunders but that J.R. Smith blowing the game it had such an effect it almost felt to me like the Steve Bartman (laughs) move that happened with the Chicago Cubs I'm sure for those of the listeners that actually you know uh, follow all the sports Back in 2003, when the Chicago Cubs were playing the Florida Marlins in the postseason, there was a, a, a ball that was hit. It was a foul ball, anyways. It was, it was hit uh, as a foul, and uh, the left fielder had a chance to catch the ball, uh, you know, causing an out. And the, this, this fan, Steve Bartman, reached out interfered with the play to catch the foul ball like a like a 12 year old I honestly I I I can't even talk shit I probably would have done the same but Bartman Steve Bartman reached out into the glove of the player making him unable to catch the ball for the out now it's really not that big of a deal but we as people blamed Steve Bartman for the reason the Cubs lost that series it wasn't even um it wasn't even a game seven for the Cubs, but nonetheless, it will always be solidified in, in sports history as, you know, as, as, as the blame game. He, he was who the Cubs blamed um, uh, for why they, they failed in the postseason and, and kind of kept that, that curse alive um, 
for the the 100 years of no world series which eventually they broke but in 2003 that they were in the playoffs they thought they had a chance so we blame steve bartman we blame jr smith now i mean not a lot changes we we look for someone or something to blame but um you know that unfortunately for jr smith that's him so the next thing that i think is pretty interesting about the nba right now is where lebron or actually before i get into that i want to talk about kevin durant and whether or not kevin durant ruined the nba and i feel like he did and i don't even feel like i'm being negative when kevin durant went to a 73 win team and in all honesty it people underestimate how hard it is to get talent to play well with other talent if that makes sense like if you look at a band you can't have two great lead singers you have to have one great lead singer and then you've got to have people who are also in the band who are willing to take roles they play roles they're not as uh, glamorous as the lead singer similar in sports you get a lot of great talent together. It's hard to make it mesh well. It's a lot harder than we give it uh, credit for. But Kevin Durant just fits seamlessly for the Warriors, especially because of his style of play, because he's a great shooter, and because he's willing to move the ball as well, uh, as long as it means that they win. So in all honesty, um, Kevin Durant was the perfect fit for the Warriors to to just become unstoppable. And that's what they are, is unstoppable. Now, Houston had a chance in the Western Conference Finals, so saying unstoppable might not carry as much weight. The fact that they could have closed out Golden State twice, but didn't. But for the most part, the Warriors are going to have a dynasty. Um, this isn't Houston's dynasty by any means as far as the next five years goes. It's, it's not, and I don't know anyone that would say it is. It's Golden State's. It's theirs to lose. Even if Houston in the next five years wins, wins three, um, that would mean that the other two most likely went to Golden State and they won five uh, championships together. So in all, all realisticness, uh, the, the Warriors are, are essentially living in a dynasty and they, they might be the t- best team that's ever been created. But Kevin Durant, it's so frustrating because what he did is, ru- he, it feels like he ruined the NBA. And so now I kind of wanted to talk about uh, LeBron and where he's going because that's all they're going to talk about in the news and I I almost refuse to watch some of what's going on I'll read articles but every time you turn on the TV to watch something regarding sports they're always talking about LeBron and where he's going so there's six possible op- so I'm going to do it now <laughs> so there's six possible options where LeBron goes to play there's Cleveland Houston like he stays in Cleveland he goes or goes to Houston, Philly, the Warriors, L.A., or Boston. That's mainly where um, where all the speculation is, is where he'd go. He's not going to stay in Cleveland. It was very evident watching the games that, um, that, that he doesn't want to be there anymore. The fact that he didn't 
acknowledged the crowd when it was in game four when he was pulled out of the game and the Cavs gave him a standing ovation. A lot of the times players there will kind of acknowledge the, the crowd, you know, raise their hand up, look around the stadium and show some appreciation. LeBron was out. He was out. He was not. He had his foot out the door. He, he had already been done. And if you watch the game, it came out later that he had a broken hand, but technically he had a broken hand this whole series and he was really busting his ass. So the fact that he was being very conservative and not busting his ass in game four basically shows you that he knew he was done and he didn't want to put forth the energy to to just essentially face the inevitable, which was they lost the series. So I think he's out in, in Cleveland. I don't know anyone who would argue against it besides the state of Ohio. Houston, it would be great if he went there. I don't necessarily know how they'd make that work um, with James Harden and Chris Paul. I think no matter where he goes, it's most likely going to be with Paul George. Now, what's so frustrating about when this happens, where we're, we're, when LeBron's a free agent and we don't know where he's going to go, in 2010, when he went to Miami, nobody saw him necessarily going to Miami because there are multiple variables here at work. There's the fact that when he went to Miami in 2010, we didn't know Chris Bosh was in the mix or a super team might be um, might be going on or, or something. That, 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 we didn't even think of that as an option. So there there are moving variables here that are outside he doesn't have his mind made up yet he doesn't know oh i'm going to la or oh i'm going to boston there are more players that whose decisions make a difference here now i know that there are reports saying that it would be a lifestyle change lebron's got nothing more to prove in basketball that's not true that's not true at all um I guess from a certain lens, it might be true that he's going to be go down as a top five basketball player as all time from his accomplishments already. Yeah, in that sense, maybe. But it's very clear that LeBron wants to win a few more championships and, and still make a run at the greatest of all time argument because that argument just continues to not go away. And even more people this year believe that he is the greatest of all time, uh, meaning better than Jordan after this after bringing this terrible Cleveland team to the finals for the most part most people will say that Jordan is still better than LeBron because of the 6 for 6 but i also i'm i'm a big fan of LeBron and i do believe Jordan is the goat still but i think there's something to be said even though LeBron has 3 finals wins and 6 finals losses i think there's something to be said that LeBron made it to the finals nine times, and LeBron and Jordan only made it six. Now Jordan may or won six finals, but the fact that LeBron made it to the finals nine times that tells me he's a winner. Even though that's a losing record, he's a winner because what you have to do to reach the finals nine times is win. People forget that. Now, he might have lost six of them, but in order to get to that point, he had to go through an incredible amount of obstacles to make it to that big stage. And Jordan, unfortunately, um, couldn't get to the, to the 
NBA Finals, I believe it was for eight years with the Bulls. And then finally they were able to get to that hump. So get over that hump. So moving forward with the NBA, I think it's very clear that we don't know where he's going. And, and I really, getting into the speculation of it, the only thing that is reasonable as far as logic goes is that there's more at play here. It's not look necessarily all LeBron. It's where's Paul George going? What's going to happen with Chris Paul? Because you know he's not joining a team as it is right now. I don't see him joining. People are talking on, on sports shows and, and a lot of broadcasters are saying, oh, he's going to join this team or he's going to join. No, he's not joining any team um, without someone else. There, there's no team that he goes to right now that 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 is the way it is. The only team that might make sense is Philly, but any team he goes to, they're going to, move some parts around and, and it'll most likely be with Paul George or Chris Paul or, or you know we really don't know what some of the trades that could happen here um, that will occur but nonetheless uh, that concludes the uh, the this podcast of the guys who ate their jobs uh, just want to say thank you for listening and uh, stay tuned for the next one